The pandemic has resulted in cancelled exams for hundreds of thousands of pupils across the UK. And in their place, we have teacher-assessed grades, where teachers are using their professional and a holistic judgment to determine the level that a student is performing at. Now, on the face of it, that all sounds relatively straightforward. However, as we get closer to the deadlines and as teachers, students and parents grapple with the realities of not having terminal exams, a myriad of complexities and questions seem to be appearing. The most pressing one seems to be, how can we make sure that this process is fair and that grading is consistent? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021, or at least what was intended to be their 2021 exams. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. Now, they could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. These are normal teens, so you can be sure that we're covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at the challenges facing teachers and indeed exam boards in ensuring consistency across centres and students' results. I'm delighted to be joined by Ian Morgan. Ian is the Chief Executive of WJEC, having joined the organisation in 2002. WJEC is an exam board based in Wales, providing bilingual qualifications, and it's also responsible for the EDUCAS brand, which runs qualifications across schools and colleges in England. Ian is also a board member of the Joint Council for Qualifications. Ian Creoso. I hope I haven't embarrassed myself with my stab at a bit of Welsh there in saying welcome. It's fair to say that the issue of consistency isn't new in an exam series. After all, there are hundreds of thousands of pupils taking exams which are marked by hundreds, if not thousands, of individual examiners across a number of different exam boards. And yet, despite all of this, we're still happy to compare two students, French GCSEs, for example, as if they were uniform. Ian, when it comes to a constant and stable approach, I think a number of people were surprised and perhaps a little confused by the fact that the devolved nations took different approaches, or at least that their approaches were timed differently. I wonder whether we could start just by looking at the context for why exams aren't approached in the same way across the whole of the UK. I think in normal terms, Nathan, you know, there are qualifications which are designed for England market and beyond regulated by Ofqual, but also in Wales, there are qualifications that have been designed to suit the Welsh market and they are regulated by Qualifications Wales. And I think within those two jurisdictions, it's clear that a GCSE brand is still the GCSE brand. And what happens across the nations then is a coming together to look at what those overall outcomes and overall standards are. So whilst the approaches may be subtly different in terms of Wales, for example, we don't necessarily follow a linear route in terms of qualifications. It's not all about endpoint assessments. 
there are elements of non-examined assessment and coursework into the mix as well. So that opportunity to do things on a more modular basis in Wales. But ultimately, a GCSE is a GCSE in whichever jurisdiction it is. And at the point of those qualifications, the exams and the awarding, there is cross-country review of those outcomes just to make sure that they are reflective of activity that's happening across a range of schools, colleges in both Wales and England. I think that's really interesting because I, certainly from my mind, although I knew that the Scottish system had an, an entirely different approach because they have things that they don't call GCSEs, even if they're done at, at broadly similar times with the hires and nationals. As you say, in Wales and Northern Ireland, we have GCSEs as there are in England. And you're in a fairly unique position, aren't you, in that through WJEC, you run exam these GCSEs in Wales, but with Educast, you also have a fairly significant presence in England too. So this issue of consistency must be one that, as an organisation, you've come across time and time again. Yeah, I think it certainly is. I think it helps us in both England and Wales to be able to operate across the two boundaries. We can look at performance of qualifications. We can look at specifications and where there are similarities. And we can also look at the assessment instruments that are used in order to undertake the exams at the end. So we are in a fairly unique position to understand it from two perspectives and two jurisdictions. And I think that's really helpful for us to ensure that certainly within the WJEC arena, we're able to develop qualifications and assessments which are fair and balanced and recognise perhaps the different set of inputs into those qualifications, but actually recognise that the outcomes are of equal value. And also quite, I'm going to go with interesting, but I feel that that might be a little bland, the experience that you've been through. At the end of last year, of course, in Wales, the decision was taken to cancel the terminal exams shortly after Scotland, but actually quite a way before England. And that was presumably from a qualification in Wales direction that would happen. But at the same time, of course, your other side of the business is looking at England and Ofqual's decision. How did you, I suppose, reconcile that difference that some students would be treated one way and, and others another way? I think, Nathan, in terms of what happened last year, it is both Wales and England were going down the centre assessed grades route. So there wasn't a late cancellation of examinations in Wales. Both jurisdictions, Wales and England, were looking at the centre assessed grade route. And both were looking at that kind of standardization model you know the standards approach the algorithm that's been bandied around lots so both were, were doing similar things in wales we were in a slightly different position because as i've said we're not wholly focused on linear exams therefore we have modular elements to the final qualification and we were able to use that modular information and outcomes for learners as part of their prediction for what that kind of center assessed grade and standardization model would be I think when we got to the sharp end of that and all those processes were put in place, as you rightly say, once Scotland made a move to do something slightly different, then the politics kind of kicked off in both England and Wales. And once England had gone, then the decision in Wales became almost a kind of de facto answer because everybody else had gone to CAGs only and not applying the standardisation model that we ended up in a similar position. So principally, we started from the same place. The application was slightly different. But the outcome was the same in that we all ended up in that kind of award percent process grade option. And then, of course, for 2021's exams for this year's GCSE intake, WJEC were shortly after Scotland in terms of the cancellation, as I understand it. And Ofqual and the government made their announcement for England in January that this decision would be taken to cancel exams. So given you've got this modular approach and no terminal exams in Wales, how far 
has that had a play in what teachers might be expected to do this year with what's happening in Wales? I think in terms of the no terminal exams, there are terminal not happening this year, and there wasn't last year. Now qualifications do have terminal exams. I wouldn't want it to look like it's only coursework based on non-exam assessment. So, yeah, moving that forward. In terms of Wales, yes, the decision was made fairly early on in the autumn term, I think kind of October, November. There were discussions from a regulated awarding organisation and government perspective, just looking at where the kind of pandemic was in terms of its traction and, you know, a kind of almost feeling that it didn't seem sensible to be planning on the basis of terminal exams when there were so many unanswered questions in the mix. I think definitely the, the will and the push in England at that point was exams were going to be the only game in town and that's what the agenda was. I think because the qualifications are slightly different in terms of we got specifications for Wales and we got different specifications for England, we were able to accommodate that because we deal with slightly different kind of nuances and different specifications. But I think we could see in terms of decisions that are made in Wales, in terms of the pressures that were then ramping up in terms of England, in terms of then, as you say, post-Christmas when we came back and the announcement from the Prime Minister on the, the 4th or 5th of January in terms of a whole host of other things of which the you know qualifications and assessments was one of those things. And once that decision had been made, then we had to change tack and then move on to putting solutions in place with the other JCQ awarding organisations for England. And so WJC and EDUCAS follow a similar idea of teacher-assessed grades that's been built up on evidence over the last two years, is that right? Yeah, so we've got slightly different nuances, and again, this is nuanced in terms of language to some extent as well. So in England, we've got teacher-assessed grades, which is what you would have spoken about to others, other colleagues, I'm sure. In Wales, we've got what we're calling a centre-determined grade. Now, principally the same thing. But what we're doing in Wales is, is using a range of evidence sources for learners, which teachers would use to then determine that holistic judgment for the learner. So we've got these bits of evidence. These are the elements of the specification or the syllabus or whatever that they covered. We've tested them and this is what those outcomes are. But wrapped around that then is that holistic judgment of the teacher in trying to get a kind of more rounded assessment and judgment of the learner in terms of the learner's academic ability their knowledge, understanding and skills. So very much a centre-determined grade with a range of processes internally, internal quality assurance processes to get to a point where effectively the school leader, the college leader, is prepared to sign those off as valid grades. Whilst in England, it's a similar route, but very much teacher-assessed grades and it's kind of more classroom-based. Yes, there will be sign-off. Yes, there will be quality assurance processes, but both those processes are slightly different in terms of what aspects of that activity happens and when it happens, appeals being an example, sampling being an example of learners' work, etc. And so in terms of that evidence that's required, is there much difference in what's being asked from the Welsh schools and colleges under WJC as there are under EDUCAS? So principally the same. At the end of the day, there have been assessments that have taken place in both England and Wales and using that as a source of evidence, as well as other bits of evidence, will then determine what that final grade is for the learner. It's coming across that you're relying and very heavily on the teacher judgment and their professional considered opinion and holistic, as something that you've said a couple of times, and something we've heard before as well. And isn't it difficult then to actually find, or, or I suppose come back to rely on evidence in order to support a judgment. I mean, it feels quite conflicted to me. I think there's a balance in there, Nathan, in terms of understanding and weighting appropriately the evidence and the information that is available to support a learner's outcome. 
I think very much what in both England and Wales, what we're trying to do is to some extent, we're trying to cater for lost teaching and learning, aren't we? We're trying to cater for those opportunities that those learners have lost in terms of gaining knowledge, understanding and skills. And I think in terms of focusing on some aspects of the assessment, we've been very open and transparent in terms of perhaps the themes and topics that they might be assessed on. So it isn't the same as an exam in the normal world where you would go into it blind. You would go into it on a Tuesday at half past nine and you'd sit there for three hours and try to answer the questions. This is about saying, this is not, from a teaching point of view, I know what I've taught you. These are the themes I've taught you and we will assess you on those themes. So what you're starting to do then is kind of mitigate for some of the lost teaching and learning because you've structured both your teaching and your assessment around the knowledge and understanding that you know your learners will have been given. So in Wales, there are still externally set tests or assessments that are being run, just on a much trimmed down basis, is that right? Yeah, so approach we've taken in Wales is we made, as an organisation, some adaptations to specifications back in the summer of last year. So from a teaching point of view, teachers knew what they needed to teach in terms of the content. So it's reduced content to some extent. Then what we've done is taken previous assessment material as the WJC has, and then we've adapted them to be reflective of the changes that we made to those specifications. So what you've got is a revised set of assessment papers that then can be used to support this. But I think it's really important to note, Nathan, is that that isn't the only source of evidence or schools were not mandated to use that information that WJC provided. If they wanted to generate their own assessments, they were able to do so. If they wanted to use other sources of evidence that they've already used in the classroom, they were able to use those things as well. And I think it's that kind of flexibility within the system that allows the teacher then to use their professional judgment as a wraparound to the evidence that already exists in order to determine that final grade. There is definitely a case of you'll never please all of the people all of the time. But what it sounds to me that you've done there is create a smorgasbord of options that teachers could choose in order to best reflect the way that their pupils, their students are progressing through the course and the level that they've reached in Wales, of course, which is not the same as the case that's happening through EDUCAS then. Again, principally in the EDUCAS world, it is a similar approach, isn't it? There have been a set of adapted topic-type test materials that have been provided for centres to use. Centres can use those in a flexible way. And I think the flexibility in both Wales and England is there. At a point in time when you are ready, you could undertake that assessment as opposed to an end-point assessment, which happens on a Tuesday morning kind of thing. So I think principally, again, there are a range of tools that they can use. There are a range of assessment materials that they can use. And then they determine what the grade is for that learner, looking at the learner in the round. So essentially then, is it right then that barring some semantics and maybe some nuances, it feels like there's a broadly comparable system, both sides of the bridge, I'm going to say from over here near Bristol, that actually students across, well, certainly England, Wales and Northern Ireland, where the GCSE systems and A-level systems run, can expect to be assessed on a, on a very similar basis. I think it's the application is slightly different. The principles are you've got a specification for a GCSE, you look at the content within the specification, you assess aspects of the specification and you award a grade on the basis. And there is this additional wrap around it in terms of the teacher having to make a kind of call or have a judgment call on certain aspects of the validity of some of the evidence and, and then determine the grade. Principally, within a similar place, the process is a slightly different, the application is slightly different, 
But ultimately, what does a learner know? What knowledge, skills and understanding have they got of the qualification? And so in terms of making sure that students are being judged in, so actually judge sound entirely the wrong word there, I think because, of course, we talk about teacher judgment. So I don't mean it to sound that, that sort of oppressive, really. But teachers are making decisions. And as we've heard before, their relative knowledge of a class is obviously excellent because they, they can see how they, they sit. But knowing how their star performers, for example, rank comparatively against the star performers of another school is outside of anything we might expect them to be able to do. So this is where, as I understand it, the role of evidence really is coming in and the quality assurance measures, which can help students and future employers, FE colleges, have confidence that the grade that's been awarded actually means something. It has some weight to it. Is that your understanding of that quality assurance process? Yeah, definitely. It is trying to kind of instill an element of fairness in a situation which hasn't got that kind of centre-to-centre comparison going on. There is no kind of moderation process going on. You're looking at kind of marketing one school compared to marketing the other school. And that's very much then where that those quality assurance processes come into it, just to check that the processes that are being applied internally, there is consistency in the process, Hopefully, then you see some consistency in the application, and then you deal with those results as those results kind of come to the fore. You know, it is different. You can't get away from it. This isn't a normal year, and this is just trying to find a way through it that allows kind of learners to demonstrate what they know. Absolutely, and you're absolutely right to point that out, and I should have, I feel bad for not mentioning it sooner, <laughs> as I do tend to do. Last year was all around how these are uncharted territories and these unusual times seem to be the catchphrases that were used throughout the early stages of the pandemic. And now that we look at the alternative grading arrangements that have been put in place, absolutely the, the phrase that we hear time and time again is, this isn't a perfect situation to try to create a perfect solution for. And so there will always be elements that if we had all the time in the world, we might tweak and change, but of course we don't. That said, it doesn't stop us still looking at the <laughs> nitpicking, I yeah. guess, around the edges, really just to try to tease out those points. The subtle difference. The difference is this year, in both Wales and England, it's an evidence-based teacher assessed grade or centre-determined grade, where last year there was a centre assessed grade, a CAG, that to some extent did not have the backing of the evidence base. Now, I'm not suggesting that schools didn't use evidence that they've got in order to determine that point, but in the scenario that we're looking at this year, it is about saying, and where is the justification for that outcome, rather than just an acceptance that because somebody said it, that's naturally what it is. And I think that, you know, it might be subtle, but principally that moves it forward in terms of the confidence to some extent, in terms of saying, look, I took these three bits, I aggregated those three things together. I put a bit of kind of emotional wrap around it to some extent in terms of what I know about the learner. And therefore, I'm now comfortable that the grade I've awarded to the learner would be something that's fair. So when it comes to looking at that evidence, there are different requirements, I guess. But as you said, there are three pieces of evidence typically that get looked at. And centres, certainly in England, are asked to provide evidence for one subject and against a random sampling of students. Is that the same in Wales? No, we're taking a slightly different approach in Wales in terms of that upfront requirement to see the evidence. So we will just sample rather than the collation of all the evidence for those selected learners. 
we will just do a sample across a range of subjects and across a range of centres. But to the same end of quality assurance? Yeah, it's just about testing the processes. So if take Wales as an example, each school has a kind of policy in terms of its approaches. And within the policy that we've reviewed and we've signed off on, that then determines what evidence they are going to use to determine the grade. So what we then do is kind of test it against the agreed policy and processes that are in place. So just to kind of, you know, check that what they said they were going to do has been done and the evidence then reflects that that process has been undertaken. I think the other difference, Nathan, is to be aware of is, you know, what is happening this year is not a mark-based kind of outcome. It's a holistic judgment outcome. So to some extent, even looking at the evidence, that isn't necessarily about saying, oh, well, they missed one mark here or two marks there. That isn't going to change the outcome because it's holistic judgment. But if there's something obvious that comes across when you look at the evidence that's been submitted, then that is an opportunity to raise a question and have a discussion rather than saying, you know, oh, you're two marks down there, you should have given them three outcome instead of one outcome, whatever. It's subtly different in terms of the approach that's been taken. Which is fascinating to think that the evidence is being used like that because what you're suggesting there isn't a remarking. So you've not got individuals who are, you'll excuse the pun, checking teachers' homework to see how they're getting on. It sounds broader than that. It is broader than that, very much in Wales. The language we're using, this isn't about a review of market in any shape or form. This is about just looking at the kind of the evidence sources that have been used, that, you know, are they within the parameters of the grade descriptors that have been provided? So, for example, we provided grade descriptors at A, at C, at E to kind of give a kind of best fit scenario. So what you're looking at is, here's my sources of evidence. This is what I know about the learner. Where is my best fit? So is it an A and a C or it's somewhere in between? Therefore, it's a B. Now, clearly, tad more complex and simple way I've just described it, but that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the best fit judgment holistically around what the learner kind of has achieved and proven achieved. And so under what circumstances, maybe you could come up with a scenario, might you foresee where the evidence will result in a conversation back to the centre, back to the teachers, to say, actually, I think this this doesn't feel like you're in line with the descriptors? If I use the Wales example, because the appeals process is slightly different in Wales, so just to, to describe that. So the stage one of the appeal in Wales will happen before results are formally issued. When centre-determined grades are determined in Wales, there will be a period of time where those will be issued to learners and there will be the opportunity for them to appeal that outcome at that point before the formalisation and sign-off of those grades, which will be released in August. And the nature of the appeal is just, you know, the learner thinks there is an error in determining the grade. And in that context, that could be an admin error, couldn't it? It could be, you know, there could be a kind of replication issue, there could be a duplication issue, there could be that they've you know typed the wrong grade into the system. And one key element of the evidence that's used for that is what we call a decision-making record. So every learner will have a decision-making record for the qualification, which would then, you know, just give the details of the learner and it would say what evidence sources they'd used in order to determine the final grade. So at that point, the learner would be aware of everything that's been used to determine the grade and almost the rationale for why they've been awarded the grade. And at that point, then, hopefully, we can deal with the majority of appeals at source, centre determined grade, centre looks and reviews it internally with an appropriate management wrap around it. So it's not the same teacher marking the same teacher's homework, 
but principally within centre undertaking a review. Is it an error? No, there isn't. The stage two appeal for a learner who then is still not comfortable happens post-release of results in August and comes to WJC. At that point is when we would then get involved in terms of requesting the evidence that's been used, and we would then take, a, again, a holistic view around the evidence in terms of, you know, back to my scenario around kind of great descriptors. Is it in the boundaries of A, B, C, D, or E? And then we don't know the learner at that point, and we got, haven't got the relationship with the learner to know about the holistic thing. I'm not seeing a scenario where there would be significant changes, but the important thing is that that opportunity is absolutely there for the learner to be able to challenge where they feel there is an error in the determination of their grade. At the end of the day, everything we're doing is about the learner, and this isn't about necessarily what I think as a chief executive of an awarding organisation. It's not about what parents think, it's what teachers think. This is about doing the right thing for learners, and we need to remember that. They are the ones that will be carrying these grades forward for the rest of their lives. These are the things that will determine what they do in their next steps, whether that's onward in terms of further education, into university and higher education or into the world of work. We've got to make sure that what we do is absolutely right, as it can be in the circumstances for those individual learners' needs. Absolutely. And we heard that certainly when we were hearing up front about why these changes were taking place and what needed to be done. It's very, very much felt that the student was front and centre of all of the planned changes and all of the alternative arrangements. But as you, I think, just alluded to there, it also isn't necessarily in a student's best interests just to be given A's and 9's across the board because they've had a tough time of it, poor loves. This isn't about that. This is also helping to give them realistic expectations, isn't it? And also being fair to other students, which is where this comparative grade range comes from. No, I definitely agree with you. And I think, you know, we are working cohesively with the profession here, aren't we? And it is everybody coming together that allows us to come up with the best outcomes that are reflective of those learners' abilities. It isn't in anybody's interest to see, you know, overinflation of great outcomes. You know, it's not in anybody's interest to set a learner on a path that says, oh, look, I'm fairly competent in this. Look, I've got, I've got an A grade. You know, if you end up in a situation where a learner's got a grade where perhaps they haven't got the requisite knowledge, they will find themselves wanting fairly on in their next stages, wouldn't it? A-level maths, as an example, if you've got a GCSE, you know, grade nine coming out of a kind of teacher assessed grade route and you move into A-level maths, we know there's a massive jump in terms of content, knowledge and understanding there anyway. But if you haven't got the kind of prerequisites, we might find that learners find themselves wanting fairly on in the cycle. And I think that's why the holistic nature of what we're trying to do the holistic nature within a centre, across centres and across jurisdictions is really, really important. It's about doing the right thing for the learner. I love the sound of what you're doing in Wales with that first run at this is what you will be given before we've written it down in a certificate. What do you think? And flagging at that point. And did you say this really has got to be about the administrative errors, not, do you know what, I thought I was better than that. So I might as well have a bash at appealing it because it's going to be very, very difficult, isn't it, for you, for any exam board to go back and question teacher judgment when it is teacher judgment. Yeah, no, definitely. It's not without its challenges, is it? But it comes back to the point that that opportunity needs to be there for kind of egregious kind of perceived issues and errors. What it shouldn't be, it's not a punt, is it? It's not about taking a punt on something and saying, oh, well, I'll appeal anyway because... 
I'm no worse off. It's about having kind of clear guidance and criteria. So if I use Wales as an example, there will be a, I use the term, application form for a learner. They would then need to articulate the grounds on which they are seeking to appeal the outcome. So it doesn't just become, oh, I'll just bang something in. I'll just send an email to the school. Or, you know, It's about why. What's the rationale? Why do you think your outcome is there's been an error or your outcome isn't what you would expect? And being able to articulate it. So hopefully we can kind of hone it in and structure it down to something that's kind of understandable and then can be progressed in a fair and balanced way because you started from the same place. If you have a free-for-all, then you can't control it anyway. A centre school college couldn't control it and you couldn't control it as an awarded organisation either. No, absolutely. And as you say, you need that. You need that counterbalance for the teacher judgment, for for pupils to be able to say, I'm not sure about this. I just don't think it's right based on based on these grounds. And as you said, absolutely not, because I might as well take a chance. I might always get a higher grade because it's right. And I think one of the failings of last year's systems before we reverted to the teacher assessed grades across the board without the dreaded algorithm was always that inability for centres in the exam boards to pick up anomalies which could be admin they could be could be anything else that because that wasn't there the whole system of alternative arrangements seemed to fall down whereas this time it doesn't feel like an overcourse correction but you certainly need that ability don't you for students to say actually could we have another look at this because it doesn't feel right definitely whichever way you look at it the learner has and in a normal circumstance the review of marking or moderation option is always there where the difference is, is in terms of what you would be reviewing, isn't it? You know, the principle is the same. You can have a review. But what we haven't got now is a marked script that an awarding organisation can look at. What we've got is a set of evidence that sits elsewhere that we would then undertake that kind of review. So the process is different, but the principle is the same. And so as we look forward, hopefully to sunnier days, mask-free all of us getting back to doing the things that we know and love, which may or may not include being in a classroom learning. I wonder if I could get your thoughts on what might happen next year. Now, I'm happy to preempt with caveats on your behalf that nothing's set in stone and nothing's being decided. I'm really interested now that we've come to what is in effect the end of this year's exam period, to a greater or lesser extent, and the year... 10s and year 12s will start to look ahead to next year. They've obviously suffered disruption in a similar way to this year's cohort. What kinds of alternatives or dispensations might you expect or look to see when they come to sit their exams in 2022? Yeah, so I think some of our thinking in the Wales context is we made some adaptations to specifications last year in the run-up of 2021. So qualifications Wales is regulated and those would remain so adaptations already made to specifications and qualifications will remain in place for teaching from September onwards. The other bit that we're doing then is we've got a, a short consultation window with the profession that I think the consultation starts one day this week, where we're going to seek some kind of additional views from the profession in terms of any other areas they think we should explore in and around those specifications and those qualifications. Clearly, where we are in terms of access to schools, learners in schools will have an impact in some subject areas. So your dramas, as an example, if you're in school, you can do your kind of collective kind of drama activities where this year you weren't able to do that. So your non-examined assessment stuff comes back into the mix and all those kinds of things. So it's about just looking at a range of options. 
we will get to a point where, you know, the focus will be on a set of exams that will happen in summer 2022. The nature and content of those exams is the bit that I think would probably be up for debate. If the system has learned any lessons from last year and this year, is implementing different ways of assessing learning outcomes is a real challenge and would need significant time and effort brought into the mix in order to have something which would be valid for the longer term moving forward. You know, some people like exams, some people don't like exams, but at the end of the day, it is a fair and balanced way. Everybody gets the same access. Everybody gets the same exam. Everybody's marked in the same way, moderated, standardised in the same way in order to ensure that there's consistency and clarity in the system and the outcomes. Although, against that backdrop, you also have pointed out that some of the WJEC courses are not only determining the grades by a terminal exam, you've also got the coursework in there as well. Do you think that we might see more of a return to that style across EDUCAS and the other examples? I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a regulator decision, isn't it, in terms of the and government decision in terms of the nature of the qualifications. I think in Wales, it kind of works. We can see the benefit of giving learners opportunities to kind of sit some units kind of earlier in the cycle and start to aggregate up to that end point. I think the non-examined assessment is, particularly in some subject areas, ideal for learners. You know, performance, as an example, music, drama, that allows them to kind of present their knowledge and understanding in a slightly different way to start doing a kind of end point terminal exam at the end of a two-year programme of study. I also think that in Wales, to some extent, you're probably aware, Nathan, that there is a, a new curriculum in development that Welsh Government are leading on working with qualifications Wales. And following on from the new curriculum, which kind of starts teaching in 2025 or 2024, will be the development of a new set of qualifications that underpin the new curriculum as well. So that opportunity to kind of explore alternative assessment methodologies and alternative assessment instruments will come to the fore in terms of that discussion as well. If you've got a more free-flowing curriculum, how does that then get reflected when you come out of kind of key stage three into key stage four in terms of the diet of kind of qualifications and assessments that are in the mix there as well? So I think there's some exciting stuff in Wales coming our way, which will allow us to explore more broadly some of those key themes. It'll certainly be something to watch. I think it, as you say, sounds really interesting. The chance to, I guess, also learn from what's happened over these last couple of years. While we hope, that obviously, they won't be repeated, I think it's been quite an eye-opener looking at how students have engaged, how parents and across the community have also sort of reached in and wanted to know what's going on. Oh, definitely. What the last two years have done, including this year, is taking the lid off the system, isn't it? Where everybody was comfortable with an exam because they know what an exam is. Exams have been there for you know, 10s, 20s, 30s of years, I mean, everybody's used to that terminology of an exam. I think what this pandemic has done and what the solutions have done is taking the lid off that and people are now starting to ask the questions at a kind of slightly lower level, aren't they, or at a higher level, whichever way you want to look at it. People are then trying to unpick, actually, but what does that mean? What is the context for that exam? What's all the other bits that go with it and how all those things kind of come together? determine the outcome and I think to some extent the genie's out the bottle a little bit isn't it so the system per se has got to come together now to kind of you know there has to be some form of I don't know maybe recovery from where we've been in 2020 and where we are in in 2021 we've got to get back to some form of normality in terms of the processes we've got to get back to that kind of 
cross-awarding organization, cross-jurisdiction standardization processes. And again, I'm not talking about algorithm in that context. I'm talking about parity of provision and parity of, of outcomes for learners. So a returning to normal or a new normal, I guess, something that's enhanced and something that we can improve upon. Yeah, there is an opportunity for a review to take place. Now, let's be clear, specifications have been designed and developed and are being taught. Within those specifications, there are assessment objectives that are already kind of documented. And therefore, it isn't the opportunity to be radical in terms of any of that thinking. I think the more kind of opportunistic things will come in the development of new qualifications and then looking at new assessment methodologies further down the line. What you can't do is mid-process kind of change the assessment approaches because the qualifications and specifications are designed with those key elements in mind, those assessment objectives and, you know, examination bit and the non-exam assessment bit is about measuring those particular issues. And I think absolutely, if that's one thing that we've learned over the last two years, even the the biggest critics of exams and the exam processes would surely have to agree that even if you get rid of them entirely, you don't do it with three to six months notice. <laughs> These things are going to take time. It would be madness, wouldn't it? If you look back at it and, and you look at how the system has had to change and adapt for absolutely the right reasons, I get that, you would never do that, would you? You never plan to do what's been achieved in this way. So it would need that kind of holistic, kind of system-wide discussion, wouldn't it, around any alternative provision at some point further down the line? And so for the students who will be taking their exams in 2022, do you have any sage-like words of advice and wisdom for how they should be carrying on because for some of them I think this is still an uncertain time not knowing I think they probably assume that exams will take place but still some questions about it and that can have quite an impact kind of on motivation and morale. Yeah definitely you know I think the important thing is that in terms of trying to return to some form of normality for next year it is about the specification content the qualification content remains the same doesn't it yes there may be some adaptations so there is that grounding is still there I think what needs to happen in kind of for year 11 candidates next year is there needs to be recognition of the lost teaching and learning in year 10. So whilst, yes, schools have been back in and like for some part of the kind of autumn term and spring term, there is still lost teaching and learning there. And that needs to be reflected at some point further down the line. You know, concentrate on the content in the specification. Teaching and learning can kind of remain the same. And then we can mop up the assessment aspects in terms of when we start to look at what those kind of assessments and exams will look like for next year. Ian, thank you very much for your time and for sharing your insights. I thought that was a really interesting and frank look at the situation from Ian's perspective. And although much of the conversation drew on examples that came from the Welsh exam process, I think that the spirit and the processes seem to be shared across GCSE and A-levels wherever the students um, happen to be taking them. What I find encouraging about all of that is that all of the organisations involved seem to put the young people really at the heart of this in a genuine attempt to do what's in their best interests in, let's be honest, a near impossible task. Last week, we heard from Dr Philip Wright, the Director General of the Joint Council for Qualifications, about the role of evidence and some of the detail in how centres should and perhaps shouldn't be using it. To my mind, there's a, a clear tension between asking teachers to make holistic judgments on one hand 
and then asking for materials that prove it on the other. As we've heard from previous guests, and clearly reiterated by Ian, this process isn't about doubting or second-guessing teachers as much as it is about trying to get a degree of confidence that all students are being assessed to a similar, if not the same, standard. And that's important. It's important that our young people have grades that they can believe in. As we heard from Ian, we don't want to be in a situation of, oh, they've had a tough year, let's give them an A or a B. Because that doesn't help them form realistic expectations based on their abilities. And not least of all, it's going to create an onward problem for next year and, and years after when comparing grades. And I don't mean this grade comparison in terms of league tables. I mean when it comes to these young people applying for jobs and what have you. And that's one of the main reasons why I think this issue of consistency is such a thorny one. We need a credible system that's robust enough to be interrogated and as near standardised as possible, while having an infinite choice of supporting materials and, of course, the all-important teacher judgement. I thought it was really interesting to hear that there has been a considerable focus across the exam boards on helping teachers with objectivity. Unconscious bias is clearly a significant issue when people are making snap decisions. And you might imagine that a teacher could view a disruptive student less favourably than a conscientious one. However, these are not on-the-spot judgments. These are the considered opinions of professionals, having reviewed evidence in a career that's solely focused on helping students to reach their potential. However, of course it's right that we do what we can to raise awareness, but it seems an oversimplification to think that this might be an endemic issue. It's clear to me as well, having talked to Ian and indeed AQA's Colin Hughes, that much has been done around the processes and that layer of quality assurance to try, in an imperfect situation, to create this level playing field for students. Of course, there may well be instances where students don't get the grades that they believe they deserve. And I thought the Welsh approach of providing grades before the results are confirmed is a really interesting one. On the one hand, it's an early opportunity to flag any clear issues and have them rectified. But on the other, if misused, this could become quite a burden, couldn't it? It's likely to be really difficult for students to challenge these grades. There's evidence and a wrapper of judgment. It's not immediately clear to me what might result in a valid appeal. But I guess that's why, as Ian maintains, the appeals process is so important to have in place so that it can cater for the anomalies, for the unexpected. So I loved hearing from Ian too about the prospective changes to the Welsh curriculum and therefore the assessments that underpin them. This seems like a really exciting opportunity to learn from an unexpected two years and create a system that will serve students for the future. Thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode as interesting and as useful as I have. If you did, I wonder if you'd take a moment to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review too. It really does help us reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with your friends on social media is always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, 
So please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast. <laughs>